people. It's Amanda, and it's the last show of the year. I can't believe it. This is a time when a lot of us are looking back, whether we want to or not, and thinking about the highs and lows of 2021. We're going to focus on the highs today, specifically the recipes of 2021 that we're still making. We have a lot of best of roundups that you can see on bonappetit.com. And next week, we'll be publishing our actual top 10 all-time recipes of 2021. But this week, we're going to do a bit more of a subjective list. We're going to talk about some of the recipes that may or may not have clicked the best or performed the highest, whatever that means, but that we in the test kitchen and at Bon Appetit just think are amazing. So to do that, I'm bringing in senior cooking editor Sarah Jampel and test kitchen director Chris Morocco to talk about the recipes that they were most excited about this past year. Maybe some of them will be on the list next week. Maybe not. You'll have to go and find out. But they're definitely the ones that we love and we think you should make. And then we're going to bring in associate food editor Kendra Vaculin to talk about a spread that she put together on cooking with your kids this holiday season. She put together some delicious and really fun holiday treats. But first, let's talk to Chris and Sarah. Hey, you two. Welcome back to the show. Thank you. Thank you. How do you guys feel about top 10 lists or top anything lists? Here's what I think. I have a feeling that like none of the things that we choose here today are going to actually be on the top 10 list. Just because I feel like those lists, they're a popularity contest. You know what I mean? It's like this recipe kind of gets its friend to vote for it on the side and makes a side deal with this other one to just kind of like step back. that's not how traffic works. That's exactly how traffic works. That is entirely how the internet works. I will not hear otherwise. You think it's like algorithms making backroom deals? Yes, completely. Listen, I'm very curious to see what's on that list, but it's not going to overly influence what I truly think were some of the exceptional things that we did this year. Okay, so this is about having an opinion, regardless of what the internet thinks. Big time. Sarah, how about you? Yeah, I would say that there's a distinction to be made between the best recipes and the top recipes. I think it's often funny to look at the list and be like, okay, I knew that was going to be on there. It's gluten-free paleo pasta with chicken and creamy asparagus. And it's like, okay, check, 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 check. We like schooled Google and we figured it out. For me, a recipe that I learned something from, it for some reason stuck in my mind of all the recipes that we published this year. And that's in my mind what makes it the best recipe. Okay. So now we've got all of the caveats out of the way. We're going to be strictly personal and opinionated here today. So Sarah, why don't you kick us off? Why don't you give us your first top recipe of the year. Okay. My first top recipe of the year are the granola scones from Mother Grains by Roxana Julepat. I think that these scones blew my mind in terms of what a scone can be. So these were in our February issue. And I remember this cookbook, Mother Grains, kind of blew us all out of the water. Can you talk a little bit about the book as a whole and Roxana, the author, and what she does with grains that makes this recipe so special? Yeah, the book is organized by the essential mother grains. So there will be like a chapter on barley, a chapter on oats. And she uses heirloom flowers that aren't the all-purpose flowers that you can find at the grocery store. And her recipes are all about showcasing the qualities of those grains in terms of their flavor, but also their chemical properties and what they can do for baked goods on a textural level. And just the detail of the book was incredible. And also, I think... As someone who develops dessert recipes and baking recipes, 
quite frequently, I have a hard time thinking about how is this going to feel unique and new and fun, but also not super complicated and ingredients for no reason going on. Roxana achieved that in this book. The recipes feel really special, but they're not so complicated that you would never want to make them. I'm thinking about this like ricotta cake Mm -hmm. that we published, and it's not fancy, but it's delicious, and there's something just immediately appealing about it. And I feel like these scones achieve the same thing. And you actually wrote about these scones more recently. The headline of your article is, I wouldn't have survived the past four months without these scones, which we should explain to listeners who don't remember, but you were on parental leave because you had a child. So what was your personal experience with these scones during that time? My friend actually made these scones for me. I have made them several times before, but one of my friends drove down from New York with many coolers worth of food. And part of (laughs) one part of the package were these scones. And the scones are fairly labor intensive to make. They have a lot of ingredients in them, hence the granola name. It's not just that you buy granola from the store and you mix it into scone dough. It's that the scone itself is granola. And they have dates, they have almonds, they have flax seeds, like they have everything in them. To make it for someone is truly an act of love. So I felt very loved to receive these. And they lived in my freezer and I truly ate them frozen. I would just like wake up at 3 a.m., be hungry from releasing all of my nutrients into another human being. And I would stumble out of my bedroom, take a scone from the freezer and like shovel it into my mouth before anyone could cry out for me. (laughs) These scones kept multiple people alive. (laughs) Yes, for sure. Like I am half scone. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Chris, hit me with the best recipe. Air fryer, chili, honey, glazed fries. You had me at air fryer. (laughs) You know, my colleague who's now on staff with us as a food editor, Shilpa Skokowicz, she developed this recipe. And what I loved about it was in my mind, up until this point in my life, I thought that a fry or a tot was done. I thought that was like a terminal state for a potato to exist in, and maybe you'd get clever with your topping, or maybe you'd get clever with a dipping sauce. But she took fries, she created this- Frozen, let's be clear, frozen. Right. From the grocery store. Frozen grocery store fries that she then crisped in the oven following the package directions. And then she tossed them in this glaze that's a mixture of sriracha, soy sauce, honey, ketchup, and a few other bits and bobs. And so you have the ultimate expression of crispy gone soggy, but Mm. not even full on soggy. It's just these fries are glazed. They are coated. They are suffused with flavor. Yes. And it just opened up my eyes to, oh, wow, like the fries aren't necessarily done. You can take them just a click or two further if you so choose. We recommend crinkle cut or waffle fries or tater tots, which just looks completely irresistible, but I'm also a sucker for a waffle fry. So love a waffle fry. So far we have a labor of love granola scone (laughs) and a from the grocery store freezer aisle tater tot recipe. I really like these so far. Okay, Sarah, where do you want to take us next? I think I want to go with Hedy McKinnon's pea and chive and ricotta pot stickers, which should be on the list for their color alone. I remember when I saw these for the first time, I was stunned by how Kermit the frog green they are on the inside. It is amazing. I'm used to the dumplings and potstickers I make to being a mishmash of things on the inside. And I think what was special about this recipe for me is that the ingredient list is so short and the color is so vibrant. 
And I think you said about this dish that you had never felt like you fully mastered dumplings and pot stickers at home. What about this recipe changed your mind? I didn't grow up making dumplings, and I had written myself off as I will never do that. But Hetty recorded all these videos that we published on the site that showed seven ways to fold dumplings. And she did it so clearly and slowly and just in her masterful way. And then she wrote all these accompanying articles about the best way to cook the dumplings, whether you want to steam them or boil them or fry them and how your dumpling wrappers should be different depending on those applications. And she wrote about how to optimize your filling so that it's not runny and it's not stodgy. What makes these fillings so simple? She just thinks about dumplings as being like, a vessel for your leftovers or like if you have a bag of frozen peas make them into dumplings and you're not getting a million different types of flavors but for me sometimes like that's all I need and it just comes together in a food processor and that's it you don't really have to chop anything it makes dumplings actually a weeknight friendly food which is something I had never thought about as a possibility and actually I have recently had to cut out soy, dairy, and eggs from my diet, which has been really a huge life change for me. And these dumplings, I just don't add the ricotta. And now I've been struggling to think about what can I make that's easy and fast as someone who ate eggs for every meal and cannot, Mm -hmm. or like had pasta and cheese for every other (laughs) meal. And these dumplings actually have been my answer because now Hetty has opened my mind to how much more flexible dumplings can be. Like, I'll grate carrots, add some vegan kimchi and put it in a dumpling. I'll put lentils in a dumpling. Like I'll just figure out ways to make the dumpling the vessel for something (laughs) that otherwise would feel like an incomplete meal. I love that entry. I always have a bag of frozen peas in my freezer. So that's one to bookmark for sure. Okay, Chris, give us another. Can we talk about the best recipe of the year, regardless of what the numbers would indicate? Oh, that's a POV right there. Sarah, are you ready to go to battle here? I actually was alerted to this recipe while on leave. (laughs) Like, I knew it was happening because I got a text message about it. So (laughs) I believe Chris. It was that good. We had to disrupt your parental leave to tell you about it. Yes. But this has a weird backstory, okay? Okay, let's go. So sometimes we get recommendations for what people are searching for from our SEO team, meaning terms that people are putting into search. And one of the things that this big, I imagine like a big room-sized computer, spat out apple cookie. The numbers seem to indicate that people are searching for apple cookies. And you sit there as somebody who's has a bit of a history in the recipe development space, and you ask yourself, what is an apple cookie? These things actually would not seem to go together at all. Do you understand that these two things are like antithetical to each other? One is a high moisture content, very diffusely flavored fruit, and the other is a moisture phobic, highly specifically ratioed amalgam of sugar and fat and starches. Like, what did you think was going to happen when these two things came together? So how did it go? Let's take a journey to the heart of apple cookie. We turned this recipe over to Kelly Janke, who works with us in the culinary production team for video. And she completely crushed it. She makes a caramel, and then she takes grated apples that have had like most of their juice squeezed out of them, but with a little bit of juice remaining. She then cooks that shredded apple down into the caramel, which maybe sounds complicated, but it's really not. 
everything's cool. And then that kind of caramel apple mixture, all those toasty notes of the cooked sugar, then goes into a straightforward cookie dough with a little bit of extra apple caramel on top. And it just becomes this chewy, rich, but savory, interesting, just phenomenal cookie. And what I love about it is that it took something that kind of sounded like, to be honest, a bit dumb, and turned it into something incredible. And whoever these people are searching for apple cookie on the internet can now find this recipe. We got you. We got your back. And Scott Rose from Ontario, Canada says that Anyone who tried them said they were on the top five of the best ever cookies they'd ever had. Wow. Okay, we're going to take a quick break here. And when we get back, we will hop into the final recipe recommendations of the year from Sarah and Chris. And then we're going to get a quick word from associate food editor Kendra Vaculin, who contributed to this really fun holiday spread we did in the December issue that's all about getting your kids, your nieces, any of the small people in your life excited about getting into the kitchen. Sarah, let's go back to you, and I'd love a dinner recipe or a main from your perspective. I'm going to guess it's not going to have chicken since you're one of our resident vegetarians. I think I want to talk about Rachel Gerger's yogurt marinated mushrooms. Yes. Mm. The recipe has many components. It has a yogurt sauce, and it has a yogurt-based flatbread, and it has what I think are the best part of the dish, but the yogurt marinated mushrooms. And what I really liked about this is that yogurt marinating was something that I kind of had thought was mostly applied to proteins. I usually think of it as being like a Middle Eastern and South Asian technique of marinating chicken or lamb or other kind of proteins in yogurt to both tenderize them as a way to give flavor and then also to promote browning in the cooking process. And I really liked how Rachel was able to take all of those amazing qualities of yogurt and apply it to mushrooms so that when you cook them, not only are you imparting flavor, but you're also able to really brown the outsides of the mushrooms while keeping the mushroom meat very juicy and tender. Something I'll have to keep on a list of when I can return to my yogurt eating though I'm sure it would be good with other types of non-dairy yogurt as well. But I usually skip the flatbread and the sauce and just beeline it straight to the mushrooms. And you can make them on the stove or in a broiler. Like I don't really grill, but it's very versatile. And I don't see why you couldn't do yogurt marinated broccoli. I think yogurt marinated squash seems like a way to get some tanginess and heat and spice into squash, which by March, my relationship with squash is really at an all-time low. <laughs> um, so I'm looking to apply this technique to other vegetables in the future. All right. So I have Zatar chicken cutlets with cabbage salad from my dear friend, Andy Baragani. This was part of an April print package of recipes that I think everybody got a bit tired of cooking. Yes, definitely. So there's not some massive revelation here other than the fact that once again, you know, Andy kind of showed that a panko breading on a cutlet doesn't have to just be the thing itself. He mixed zatar into it with a high proportion of sesame seeds, and it just creates this really kind of layered, flavored, highly interesting and dynamic component to the cutlet. And 
I just often find myself making cutlets. Like we are a very cutlet-centric home. Yeah. So I kind of struggle to make things interesting. And this was just like one of those quiet revelations. And so Andy, and I think this recipe is just one of many that stands as a tribute to his perspective and the point of view that he brought to the mix on the food team. I remember we went back and forth about this, and sometimes I can't recall which iteration of a recipe we ended up actually going with because he wanted a very high proportion of sesame seeds in this mix, higher than you would normally find in most store-bought zatar mixes, and then a relatively high proportion of sumac as well. So it's like very tart, you know, brings that sort of sharpness into play. So it was... This is a way to kind of not just use Zatar as is off the shelf, but really tailor it to the specific application. Yes, you have the crusty chicken cutlets with the sesame seeds visible, and you have that beautiful swoosh of tahini on the side. And it's served with, if you want to serve it this way, a bit of cabbage and red onion, kind of like a raw salad. It's just peak Andy, it is safe to say. Sarah, let me guess, your final pick has some kind of dough. Yes. Um, it's Asha Luffy's tomato and cheese hand pies, which are essentially glorified Hot Pockets. I never had Hot Pockets as a child. I was actually recently looking them up online, and there's, like, high-protein versions now. Of course there are. Yeah, they're, like, leaning into the health. Are those the same as pizza rolls? I grew up eating those Tonino's pizza rolls. They're different. I think they're bigger. They're more like a pastry strudel. Yes, yes, okay. This is the year that I remembered puff pastry. And I think this kind of happens in cycles of my life where it's like every two to three years, I'm like, oh, there's this delicious thing at the grocery store that I could buy and keep on hand. And I could make pommiers and I could make a tarte du soleil and I could feel fancy. Yeah. That's how I feel about store-bought gnocchi and ravioli. Sometimes I just go a year forgetting that it's there. And then I just remember how delicious it is to just buy them already made. But let's get back to these hand pies from Asha Lupi. Sarah, what do you love about them? What I love about Asha's recipe is that, first of all, you can make them and keep them in your freezer and have a delicious, cheesy, tomato-y snack at any point, which I appreciate as someone who's hungry at all hours of the day. First of all, it uses cherry tomatoes, which are available year-round and maybe better than grape tomatoes. Oh, Big time. Wait, so we're saying here that cherry tomatoes are better than grape tomatoes? Well, grapes are hardier because they have that thicker, sturdier exterior, so they can be shipped. They're more transportable, whereas cherries need to be treated with more care. And they burst more easily. Yeah, they burst more easily, and they're, like, softer. So this recipe can be made at any time of year because if you can get cherry tomatoes, you can make it, and you cook them down to stave off moisture so that the filling is flavorful, but it's not watery. Another thing I think is really smart is that Asha incorporates creme fraiche into the filling. So it's not just melty, stringy cheese, but it's also tangy and creamy. Yeah. The creme fraiche is a smart addition to sneak in another flavor profile that still complements that tomatoey, cheesy vibe of the rest of the filling. So the cheeses should be a gruyere and some other semi-hard melting cheese. Anything else we should work in here? Yes. This is a perfect opportunity to also incorporate other things that you have. If you wanted to also use Parmesan, if you wanted to use fresh or dried herbs, if you wanted to cook some pepperoni and add it, all of those things would be great here. And I assume kids would like this. I don't know. Chris would have to say, but it's not mature food by any means. One would eat it. 
Yeah, one would eat it. Like anything with tomato sauce and cheese, one of them's in. The other one can't handle sauce. So with the puff pastry, it comes in a big sheet. How do you get it to hand pie status? Yeah, you just cut it into squares and then you fold each one over into like a smaller rectangle. But triangles would be really fun. And you can do anything with puff pastry. We're basically talking about dumplings again. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. All the world's a dumpling in my mind. And before we bake them off to get that crispy, flaky, golden brown, is there anything else we need to do? I would freeze them before cooking them. I think just keep them frozen in a bag and then give them an egg wash before you put them in the oven. And please tell me you are not eating these straight out of the freezer. (laughs) No. (laughs) I do have a limit. Like last night I ate a totally frozen cookie, but only because I was like, how do I defrost this? Chris, you're like the king of freezing cookies. I feel like you've talked about this before. Yeah, but everything has like a very, very specific reheating process. I used to get into fights with Brad about this all the time. I'd be like, oh, I like crunchy red grapes. He'd be like, yeah, but put them in the freezer and just eat them when they're like all hard. And I'd be like, no, like what what does your dentist have to say about this? Come on. Oh, frozen grapes are like <sighs> a known delicious food. Oh, not you too. They're You're like all a monsters. frozen dessert. No, the freezer is like suspended animation, but then you need to revive things. You don't just pull things out and start noshing. That's not how it works. <laughs> We're done here. I'm logging off. So looking back at both of your picks for your top recipes of 2021. What does it say to you about the kind of year you both had? It's like pandemonium, (laughs) total and complete chaos. I turned to things that would comfort me, last a long time, fill me up. And aspirational things that you can't currently eat but hope to again. Yeah, I think because I'm often reading recipes with the point of trying to figure out what makes them thoughtful or new feeling or problem solving than the sorts of recipes that I also tend to gravitate to myself. I do love a recipe that I can just like make from start to finish and is satisfying, but it's not what really sticks in my mind at the end of the year. Usually it's like the recipe that had that twist or trick that made me rethink what I thought I knew about scones. (laughs) I feel like both of your recipes kind of embody this like two ends of the spectrum of how we cooked in the last year. Like I think people really were tired of cooking and they wanted the easiest possible store-bought tater tot recipe they could get their hands on. But those of us who had a little bit of extra time at home or were looking for something to take our minds off pandemonium, there's some projects in here or just new things you might not have done before, like making dumplings from scratch or using puff pastry for the first time. I think that there's kind of a nice mix of recipes for both types of folks. And maybe you're the kind of person who needs one on a Tuesday and then on a weekend, you're ready to tackle something a little bit bigger. So thank you both for hopping on the show and providing such a range of recipes that really, I think, perfectly capture what this year was like in the Bon Appetit Test Kitchen. Thank Thank you. you. So I have associate editor Kendra Vaculin with us today. Welcome back to the show, Kendra. Thanks so much for having me back. We did this beautiful spread in our December issue that was all about cooking and celebrating with kids around the holiday season. And you were a big part of this package, but you don't have kids as far as I know. No, I don't. Nor do I, nor do I, but we were both kids once. So. Correct. And I was a babysitter for a long time, <laughs> though obviously nowhere near the amount that a parent would have. But for me, it, it seemed like a lot. <laughs> 
All right, so let's dive into these recipes. First of all, this ice cream in a bag, even the name blows my mind. As a kid, I was part of a family that had a hand crank ice cream machine. Sure. And I just remember passing the thing around. Everyone takes their turn. You don't get any ice cream unless you do your time with the crank. Oh, wow. Yeah, pretty hardcore family. But this already sounds way more fun. What is ice cream in a bag? Okay, so this was a babysitter classic. My babysitter, Karen, when I was very young, taught my sister and I this trick, which is essentially creating that hand-cranked ice cream moment, but using Ziploc bags. So you have a small Ziploc bag in which you put all your ice cream ingredients, which is just half and half and heavy cream and sugar. And for this purpose, we're doing like a candy cane flavor, so a little bit of peppermint extract. Mm. And then you put that small bag inside of a gallon size or a larger zip top bag that you fill with ice and rock salt. That's the big key is the rock salt because that keeps the ice at this extremely cold temperature. It will melt, but it won't get warm. Right. And just shake the crap out of it. Like I definitely ruined some video that was shooting in the test kitchen because I was in the background as loudly as possible, shaking a huge bag of ice for 10 minutes. They had to stop shooting. They were like, can you do this elsewhere? So I stood in the refrigerator to shake. Oh my God. Not only did you have to shake, you had to do it in like a sub freezing space. Literally in the walk-in so that I would stop ruining a video. (laughs) The things we do for recipes. Yeah. It's the job. Somebody's got to do it. Tell me more about the flavoring. So this one has peppermint extract. What other flavorings could go well in this kind of recipe? Any extract that you wanted to add in the ingredient stage, you could. So if you wanted to do like lemon extract or vanilla extract or almond, that would be a great place to put it. But even at the end, once it's completely firm, you can kind of cold stone style mix in whatever you would like. (laughs) Cold stone style. (laughs) You could do chocolate chips. You could do sprinkles. We definitely did all sorts of things. But you could put a drop or two of food coloring in your ice cream to begin with. We would make like vanilla ice cream, but it would be blue or green or whatever. It's so weird. Yeah. Kids are obsessed with that. (laughs) Yeah. Let's talk about something more savory. So you have a kind of a Mad Lib style party mix in this section, which is just super fun to look at and think about. It's got these different categories and you add them all together and you end up with a party mix. Yeah. So this was just basically imagining my ideal mix of crunchy fun snack foods that I would want all together in a bucket for a party to eat while watching a movie, whatever. Okay. So what's your three cups bag snack? What's your pick? I would pick pizza flavor, flavor blasted goldfish. Pizza flavor, flavor blasted goldfish. Yes, I love pizza flavor, flavor blasted goldfish, (laughs) but truly they're so good. Do they taste like pizza? No. Do they taste like tomato, cheesy, oregano-y? Yes. And that is great. So we've got pizza flavor, flavor blasted goldfish. And then what's your cereal moment? Okay, my cereal moment is wheat checks because I love the dark, dark brown Mm -hmm. checks. They're like a little nutty, a little hardy, a little less fluffy, which I think the rice check is just kind of fly away in the wind. And then what is your one cup nut item? Okay, toasted cashew, which I like for the creamy nuttiness, but also size. Mm. Okay, and then something sweet, one cup. This is tough. Mm M&M's is the easy one. But I might put gummy bears, honestly. Oh, my God, Kendra. 
<laughs> I'm sorry. Is my snack mix psychotic? I'm like horrified right now. Uh, yeah. Flavor blasted pizza, goldfish, and gummy bears together <laughs> in a bowl. This is chaos. Tell me it's bad. Tell me. My Virgo <laughs> brain, my type A brain can't handle this, but I support you. Thank you so much. I also just want to say like this is definitely Snack Mix 101. And if you have a kid who's a little bit older, ready to use the stove, ready to do a little bit more advanced snack mixing, I would say we have some really great party mixes on our site. My favorite is this miso snack mix that involves honey, melted butter, miso, kind of a lot of the same dry ingredients here, but you kind of mix it all together in a goop, spread it out on a baking sheet and pop it in the oven. And that's just going to take your party mix to a whole new level if you're not already doing that. Kendra, do you have a favorite 2.0 party mix you want to call out? Totally. Yeah. It's literally called the BA party mix on the site. It's so good. You use Dijon mustard and mustard powder and Worcestershire sauce Mm. plus paprika and black pepper. And it's just really savory, which I think is what you want. But obviously in that toasted buttery mix, which is lovely. Okay. Last recipe we're going to talk about So you developed a super basic sugar cookie recipe that's on bonappetit.com. And in the December issue, you have some great tips for how to decorate these cookies in ways that you might not already be thinking of. So like a little bit beyond the normal icing and sprinkle situation. Totally. First of all, talk about the sugar cookie recipe and why it is kid-friendly, and then we'll get into some of the tips. Yeah. So the recipe itself uses a food processor, which I think is one step more simple than using a stand mixer, which has a lot of moving parts that can be freaky. The food processor does have a blade, but it's secured away from any edges. So as long as you have a parent that's going to set that up for you, you really just get to press the pulse button over and over, which is quite fun to me. And I am an adult person, so (laughs) I think it's fun. But it uses cold butter, which for me, waiting for butter to soften before I could make cookies was always this interminable. It was a horrible wait. It takes literally decades when you're like seven. Totally. I would want to make cookies and then my mom would say, great, we can make them tomorrow because she would have to leave the butter out on the counter all night. And you're like, are you kidding me? Right. It was horrible. So in this iteration, you can get straight to it because you use cold butter like you would for pie crust and just blitz that right in your food processor. And then the dough can kind of become whatever you want. Yes. I love that. Okay, so what is one of the tips that is in our December spread about how to kind of amp up that sugar cookie? Yeah, well, the few of them I really love, but the one that I liked the most was one of our coworkers, Chala, told me about this really awesome thing that they do where anything goes. Yes. Like anything can be a sprinkle. And Chala told me that they have used rainbow fruity pebbles. Which, think of that texture of cereal and also what that looks like. If you cover a whole frosted cookie and then cover it with Fruity Pebbles, I think that's so fun. Such a good idea. It sounds like a milk bar idea. A hundred percent. They're always doing like cereal infused desserts. And this is sort of an homage to that. I want to talk about the stencil idea because I thought this was really inventive. What was that tip about? So this came to us from Christina Che. And I think it's really smart. If you use just a plain piece of paper, you can create really graphic, bold designs on your cookies. It works best if you have a pretty basic cookie shape like circles or squares because the decoration is going to be what really pops. And you can do it as simple as putting your piece of paper diagonally across your cookie and then putting powdered sugar on one half of that. That way, when you remove the 
paper, you have this really sharp line for your cookies. Yeah, this tip is great for people who cannot keep track of their cookie cutters. I'm one of them. If you lose them every year and then it's Christmas time and you want to create fun shapes, but really you just need to make circular cookies, um, you can just do a paper stencil instead. Exactly. Well, these are so great. I feel very much in the holiday spirit and like I need to go find some children to <laughs> to enjoy these these recipes with. Although I'm probably also just going to make at least the snack mix and possibly even this bag ice cream on my own. It's really fun. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on, Kendra. I hope you have a great holiday season. And thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks again for these great recipes. Of course. Happy holidays to you. Thank you to Chris Morocco, Sarah Jampel, and Kendra Vaculin for hopping on the last show of 2021 to properly wrap up the year with some great recipes to try and share. We'll link to all of them in the show notes, but also keep a lookout for the official BA Top 10 to see if any of your favorites made the cut. And pick up the December issue to find Kendra's recipes and do some Christmas cookie decorating with the young ones you love. Give our guests a follow on Instagram. Chris Morocco is at Morocco Chris. Sarah Jampel is at Sarah Jampel. And Kendra Vaculin is at Kendra Kendra Kendra. If you love the show, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. It helps keep us food people employed. And you can follow Bon Appetit on Instagram at Bon Appetit Mag and on Twitter at Bon Appetit. Food People is produced by Bon Appetit in partnership with Pod People. Vishnu Vallabhaneni is our senior producer. Ginny Bloom is our showrunner. Madison Lusby is our production manager. And Morgan Foose and Jessica Jones are our associate producers. This episode was engineered by Trey Booty, and the music is by DJ Newmark. June Kim and I provide editorial direction for the series. Special thanks to Matt Sav, Nico Steele, and Julie Shen. And Food People is going to be on a short hiatus over winter break, so we can all relax. We'll be back at the top of 2022. I'm your host, Amanda Shapiro. Happy holidays and happy eating. Happy holidays and happy eating.